Okay, I'm going to lead off the prayers uh, with the Beatitudes. And the thing to focus on in the context of what we're doing today is how Jesus at the end expands very much on the topic of this uh, service. And this is what he said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. So yeah, I'm going to turn to... The attitude, like in Philippians 2, you have to have that attitude. Have the attitude like poor in spirit, have the attitude like in all the other ones. But just yesterday, that was knocked out of my mind, out of my, my brains, as I was listening to one of the, the priests from the region. He says, no, it, it's all Latin. It it's comes from Beati, which seems to be... Uh, happiness and uti or something that uti which is be or, or some combination of those two so but basically if you want to translate it properly it says what, what total bliss now when you look at the, at the, uh, the beatitudes then there's not much bliss in hungering and thirsting, if you take it like that. But starting right from the beginning, and, and this preset, it, it's one leading up to the other. It starts with the poor in the spirit. He says, it basically, it's a complete dependence upon God. Nothing to do with something in your mind, but a, a poorness of God and admitting that you are totally depending on God. And from that comes the mourning, because from this poorness, dependency on God, comes the knowing that you cannot do it alone, and you need God to get to the next step. And then the humbleness comes, because we realize without God we're nothing, we need Him. So He goes through all these steps, and, and one leads to the other. But then when we look at the, the video, we listen to the video, and it, it's a bit of an alternative one. It can be quite shocking to at least see the pictures. But it, it gives a different picture about the Beatitudes. Blessed are the risk takers and the rule breakers. Blessed are the grieving and the broken. This is the first picture. Like the grieving and the broken, it's not only adults. In this case, you, you all heard about the earthquake that happened a few months ago in, in Turkey, where 60, 70,000 people were killed by falling 
well, by the earthquake. And that is a conservative number. They, they reckon there might be more than 100,000. But they can't find out anymore because the, the Turkish are moving the, the broken buildings into to rubbish dumps and, and the, without checking whether there are any more bodies. But this boy is the only surviving of this Kurdish family. So he is grieving. And, and we can trust that God will look after a boy like that. We, he's probably not a mature Christian or whatsoever, but we know that his heart is directed to God. And we believe that God will look after him. And he will bless the grieving and the broken. And the sad thing with this is that this was a Kurdish pastor family in one of the Kurdish regions of Turkey, where now there's no Kurdish pastor. And, and the church yeah, is in danger of falling apart. That shows the second picture. Like, churches have been demolished. Like, sometimes we pray, like, oh, if there is an earthquake, don't let the church fall down. But it happens as well. Churches are also affected by earthquakes. You know, and, and it, it was a bad earthquake. The, the very nice thing that we, that we are developing now and we're seeing is that Kurdish people from other regions, they are traveling to this Kurdish region to support the Kurdish Christians and the Kurdish people that are suffering. And Kurds from Georgia, from the Caucasus, they're traveling to Turkey. Kurds from Iraq, where they have a diff difficult life as well, the Christians, they're traveling to Turkey. From Syria, where they also had the earthquake, they're traveling to Turkey. And for the reason is that Turkey doesn't want to support the Kurdish people. Like, they, the army has stopped the, the relief going into Kurdish regions and diverting it to the Turkish regions. So the Kurdish are totally left by themselves. So then the Kurdish Christians, they have jumped in from the whole of the region to bring the help to their brothers and sisters. So, and, and that is, of course, great to see that, that that is an encouraging thing to notice. So the Kurds are jumping in where the, the other part of the body is mourning and grieving and are suffering because of the earthquake. The risk takers, that, that's an exciting one for me. I, I shared here once about getting out of the boat, getting your feet wet. That first step out of the boat, that is the, the risk that you take because you might sink into the water. Now, this risk taker that we're going to show you now, he's a different, uh, different kettle of fish. Fish. Now, this is an Uzbek believer, 100% deaf. He's an evangelist that goes to villages to preach God's word to the deaf Uzbeks in other villages. But some villages are four hours cycling away. And the shortcut is to, as he explains, you all, you all can do sign language, of course. He explains... He takes his bike and puts it on his shoulder and goes through the river. So he doesn't need to do the journey for four hours. Now, of course, he will be tired and, and wet,
But the weather in the summer is so nice and warm that within a couple of minutes cycling, he's dried up again. That is a risk taking because the water could also wipe him away. Now, people like that, I've, I've seen these guys a few weeks ago in Uzbekistan. For me, they are just mind-blowing. It's, it's unbelievable what they're doing. There are a couple of those deaf people, they go across the border into Turkmenistan. Now, they've done that a couple of times, taking Bibles, visiting the deaf people in Turkmenistan. And then, at one stage, they are being found out by, by one of the, the other pastors, a, a hearing one, who knows the situation probably a bit better. And he says, what, where, where have you been going? Into Turkmenistan. And he says, how, how often have you been doing that? Well, maybe this is the, the tenth, eleventh time that we crossed the border and, and through the mountains, you know, the, the non-official borders. And the pastor says, do you know that you've been walking through a minefield every time? And of course, the deaf people had no idea. But hugely dangerous, and God protected them time and time again that they walked through the minefield. I, you know, I wouldn't dare to do this. Sometimes being deaf has got a blessing as well. They, they were going to another country, also in a boat across the border. But in, in the, at this border, you have watchtowers with people with machine guns. So they're watching everybody crossing that river. And these deaf, they get in the boat and, and they cross the river. So the, the guards shouting at them, and the deaf have no idea, of course. And, and the guards don't know what they have to do with them. So they pick them up on the other side. And they say, didn't you realize that we were shouting at you? Now, of course, the deaf people say, what? Now, the language is very different. They go like this, you know. And, oh, oh. and, and the, the, of course, the, the, the watchtower men, they, they know, okay, these people are deaf. But they're saying, look, we could have shot you. Every other person we would have been shooting at with our machine guns. And they, they put them in prison for six days, because that's the law, and they let them go. So in this case, it was quite profitable, profitable for these guys not to hear the warnings and had to return. They went there anyway, did their job, you know, afterwards again. And this, this deaf church, it's just blossoming. And you just wonder how they do this. I went to visit with a group, and it's not without danger. I went to visit with a group in the village, and I sat there at the table, and they get all the food ready, and during the meal they would do communion, as you do. It's, it's a meal. You take it together while you're eating. And, and they're getting everything ready, and then suddenly they come running in, and they say, we have to go. The neighbors have been phoning the police or, or something. We have to go. We, we, we. So, and straight away in the car, and you move. And then sometimes the police comes in. They take everybody into the police office, you know, everybody gets a fine or whatever, and they let them go again. So even being deaf and nobody hears what you're saying, it's still dangerous. Even last, uh, two weeks ago I was there, they took me in the car. You know, I had to sit in the car till the, the street was free of, of neighbors looking through the windows or out of the gates, and then quickly into the, into the house, the courtyard. 
And then afterwards, when I left, again, they let me wait behind the gate. And they said, okay, wait, 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 now. And had quickly in the car and, and gone. And that was a visit because I know these evangelists, they go everywhere. The saying of the 200, I think 200 villages and towns in the whole of Uzbekistan, they've reached 120, 130 with the gospel to the deaf communities in these towns. And you see the picture about them going on, on the bicycle into these villages. So that's a long time, you know, four hours. So now we've given them motorbikes. Oh, that's a sad picture, isn't it? So, so we've given them motorbikes. So they can take over the bridge, they don't have to cross the river. Do the next picture as well then. They can go over the, the bridge, four hours riding on the bicycle is reduced to one hour or less. They can take goods with them, food, medicine, and they can do the ministry. And, and they're saying they're so thankful that they can do this with the motorbikes because now they're not tired and they have more hours to spend with the, the deaf people that they are visiting. And they're just going for it. You know, they're risk takers, they're moving. So this guy, apparently, he went with a, with a deaf colleague you know, on the motorbike and they just started riding. And they come to a village with deaf people where they've never been. They didn't even know the village was there. You know, and they got the open door, the people invite them in and they preach the gospel. So blessed are the risk takers. You know, blessed are the river crossers. The, the blessed are the deaf people on the bicycles. And now they're going into Kazakhstan. They're going into Turkmenistan. They've sent a couple from the local church, the local deaf church, into Tajikistan to evangelize the deaf people in Tajikistan. So it, it's quite amazing what, what they are doing. So then, of course, you have Iraq, where, where we have lived uh, for 16, 17 years. Thankfully, we were there again a, a few weeks ago. And then talking about this, the people that are, you know, they have a reason to run away. Last picture there. They have a reason to run away because this girl was married off to, uh, to a family because she was a Christian and they, they hoped she would return this to, to Islam. This was in last December. And she ran away. They caught her, put her back to the men, and now she is there sitting like, what do I do? You know, I want to try running away again because life is hell. But at the same time, she, she's struggling with, does God want me to stay in northern Iraq and be with his family and, you know, be a quiet witness to uh, the family? It's not easy for them. It, it's easier said from our point, like, oh yeah, you have to stay, you have to preach the gospel, you have to be a witness. But if you're constantly facing the pressure of the family, constantly, like, you should become Muslim again, etc., etc., and sometimes being beaten, I think I can understand it if someone turns around and says, okay, you know, that's it. And then, God willing, and in my prayer, is that they then will continue quietly in their faith. One of the stories I heard 
Now, these last five weeks, I visited five countries, which I was quite amazed thinking at statistics. Five countries in five weeks. So one of those countries was Kazakhstan. And I've met this, uh, this pastor, Kazakh pastor. I think when I stand here on the platform, he would still come about here. Huge guy. And he used to live in Uzbekistan. And in 1991, when he was just a teenager, he became part of Uzbek gangs and, and the Uzbek mafia. And, and they did the worst things. And they said, okay, where can we go and even do more killing and, and things like that? And they decided to go to, go to the French Legion because they, they had this, the, the impression if you go to the French Legion, you'll be sent out to Africa and you can do killings. So they went to the French Legion. But it was so bad in their behavior in the training camp in France that they were kicked out because the, the, the officers, they couldn't control them. They got all anti-command or whatever, and, and the, they were kicked out of the French Legion, which are not necessarily known for kicking out soldiers that can do good killings. So he goes back with his mates to Uzbekistan, back into, into some of the gangs, in, in, you know, and he gets caught by the police in prison. So he ends up in prison. In the library, he finds a New Testament in Russian language, a New Testament, and he starts reading the New Testament. The guard says, after two weeks, you have to give it back because someone else might want to read it. So back, but the next morning, he goes back to the library, takes it out again, and in six weeks' time, He's read through the New Testament, and he gives his life to Christ. There is value in what the, how is this group called, that bring Bibles to prisons and, and hotels and so. There, there is value in what the Gideons are doing. Bring a Bible to the prison. This guy reads the Bible, New Testament, reads it in six weeks, becomes a Christian, and now he is a pastor this size in the church in Kazakhstan. I, I think the, uh, the secret there is that he tells you become a Christian otherwise. <laughs> but it's amazing, you know, by reading a gospel in the prison. And, and it's interesting how God works in, in different ways. Like Iran, the, the daughter, we all know Khamenei, yeah? not Khomeini who created the Islamic uh, Republic but the, the present president, Khamenei, El Khamenei. And one of his nieces becomes a Christian a few years ago. She becomes a Christian, goes to the house church, visits the house church regularly, and is, is an active Christian, committed to Christ. Khamenei, her uncle, hears about this, and he thinks, what is this? You know, my, my family become a Christian and going to house churches. We can't have this. So one Friday morning, at the, when, when the Muslims have the prayer time and, and they're all in the mosques, he spends two hours preaching against the house churches, how evil they are, how bad they are, and nobody should go to the house churches because they're bad Christians, blah, blah, blah. Friday next week, the house churches are full with people because Khamenei spoke something against them so there must, be in the, there must be something in the house churches. 
And the, the, you, you might have heard the church in Iran, it's just blossoming, it's growing like anything. Even these last couple of months when there was so much pressure and, and people are being killed left, right and center, schoolgirls are being poisoned. You know, it, it's a really bad, bad time in Iran. And people are coming to Christ. Also among the Kurds, there are like 12 million Kurds. We now have connections with 300 plus Kurdish pastors in that region. We never knew there were so many Christians, but 300 pastors who together, they're running like 500 plus Kurdish house groups. So it's, it's amazing what the, the words of a president can do for Christianity. It's unbelievable, you know, but when you hear these things, you, you just get excited, do you? It's like, yeah, we want something else like this. It happened in China. You heard about the Tiananmen thing. Our specialist, he knows all about this. If you want to hear about the Tiananmen Square, go to the other guy. This is this size. You can't miss him. But after, after that oppression, what happened there? There are lots of Chinese churches because people started to look at what's there. Why is this happening? And, and we don't know how that worked, but after Tiananmen, there was a very strong Christian church in China. The best story I have is, is this one. And then I will close, but this story goes on for about an hour. So this is Dimitri. This is a, a, a pastor from a very small house church somewhere in Russia, but blossoming. You know, he's a good evangelist, and, and this is a strong little house church. So the police, they come. They, they pick him up. They sentence him to 17-year prison camp. <laughs> prison, yeah, 17-year prison camp, a thousand miles away from where his family is, so they cannot go and visit him. And he sits there with 1,500 hardened criminals in this camp. Now, Dimitri was raised by a Christian father and a Christian grandfather who, who always you know, opened the Bible with him, and uh, they taught him principles. So there were two practices that he's taken on from his, his father and grandfather that he tried to practice while in prison. So they, they throw him in, in a cell, and the cells that are shared with 40 or 60 other prisoners. And the, the one thing he does, every morning, he looks for a piece of paper, or a piece of cardboard, or, or a, something that he can write with. And then he starts copying from memory Bible verses, sometimes as much as possible from whatever he remembers for, for the next as much as on, can be on the paper, and then he sticks it to one of the damp walls or a damp post inside the prison. Now, the other prisoners, they, they also seem to be doing this, but it's like a note for the girlfriend or a, a bad note about the prison wardens or, or anything else, but it, it's something that's being done, but he puts Christian notes there, a Bible, Scripture, Scripture, Scripture. So there is a secret and there is a reason why we recommend ourselves and you memorize scripture. Don't rely on your mobile phone. Memorize scripture. And I must shamelessly say that the only scripture I can think of 
at, at the point of my head is Philippians 2. Let the same attitude be in you as was Christ Jesus. But the other scriptures, you have to memorize scripture. Because now this has hap happened in Russia, but who knows what's going to happen in a few years' time here. So here's writing these notes, stick them on, on the wall. But then the guards come and they take away the scriptures and they, they beat him up and, and they throw him in the corner and the other prisoners, they are watching this happening every morning again. And every morning again he starts writing the scriptures, putting it on the wall so that other people can read it or his own expression of faith every morning. And the, the guards cannot beat, uh, stop him by beating him. The second thing that he does, every morning after sunrise, he goes to the window, he raises his hand, hands, and he starts singing songs, Christian songs, the hymns that he remembers. And every morning, the same 10, 15 songs, when he wakes up, window songs. And, and the other prisoners, they hate it. They make noise with the, with the metal cups against the... The, the metal bars trying to stop him from singing. They throw all sorts of dirty stuff at him. Excrement, water, dirt from the floor, anything they can find to throw at him. But every morning he goes to the window, raises his arms, and he sings praise to God. The guards realize they cannot stop him from doing these things. As much as they have been beating him, you know, and, and threatening him. They cannot stop him from doing these things. Then the guards come up with something different, and they say, we have raped your wife, and she's dead now. And then Dimitri goes, that was apparently the, the thing that he just couldn't stand. And he goes to the guards like, okay, I'll, I'll sign anything that you want me to sign. Bring it tomorrow morning. I have had it, you know, and, and he just couldn't bear the thought about his wife being mistreated and killed, not knowing where his two sons are, and he gets totally in, in this, this depressed state of mind. So the guards, they, they write, like, he has to sign this confession that he's not a Christian and that he was an agent from Western governments. So he goes to sleep, and then God appears to him. And in his, in his sleep, he hears that his, his wife and his children, they are praying for him. And, and he is reassured, his wife, there's nothing wrong with him. She's alive, nothing happened. His sons are alive. God is looking after them. And then he stands up, he says, I will not sign anything. God is here, I will not sign anything. And he continues with his habit of writing down scripture singing praise in the morning. So the guards, until the end of the 17 year, they, they say, okay, you, you're going to be freed, but tomorrow, instead of freeing you, we take you to the middle of the courtyard, you have 50 minutes for this journey, and in 20 minutes you'll be executed. After 17 years in prison, can you imagine the the, the struggle that he would have been facing, being told, we're going to execute you. So they get ready, they, he packs his stuff, they go to the door, and then, 
the, amazingly, all these prisoners, the 1,500, you know, rough people, criminals, they stand up and they line where he's got to go and they start singing. They start singing the songs that he has been singing for 17 years. You know, they, they, they sing praises to God. And the guards turn around and say, we don't know who you are. We don't know who you are. And, and he says, I believe in Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And they let him go. That kind of story is like, for the same, they might have taken him to that pole and executed him. But this story is so amazing that all these prisoners, after 17 years, trying to stop him from singing, trying to beat him up, you know, the guards beating him up, trying to have him deny his faith, all these prisoners, they sing God's praises, all the songs that he's been singing for these 17 years every morning. And, and to close it off, his son is now the chaplain in this prison. You know, it's like, how does God work? Let me finish reading Matthew 5, the last, the, the last verses of the Beatitudes. Like the first eight Beatitudes, it, it's like third person. Yeah, blessed are those, blessed are they, blessed are. But then verse 11, Jesus says, blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted prophets who were before you. Blessed are you. So when persecution comes to you, you are blessed if people falsely say something about you, falsely want to throw you in prison, falsely get you in front of uh, the, the judge or whatever. When that happens, read these verses. Remember that many others have gone before you. With these stories, many people have been falsely imprisoned. And then you might follow their example. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, because of Christ. Amen. Let's stand and just close in prayer, please. Lord, there are so many people in this world, when, when we read 360 million Christians that are being persecuted, and many of them are also being killed, like we heard in India and in Africa, individuals in Iraq and Central Asia are being killed because of the faith of you. And yet, Lord, there's also so many that just need our prayers. I'm reminded of this, this girl that says, all I need of you is to pray for me. Lord, we, we want to raise the persecuted church before your throne. So many of your children that love you deeply and, and facing the, the most cruel things, and yet, Lord, they stand firm in you. We pray that you will just bless them. And, and also bless the ones that feel that they might not make it and, and feel that they might just take a break from 
the faith. Lord, we pray that you will bless them too. And, and all these children of yours, Lord, that they experience your eternal arms underneath them and your everlasting presence. Help them to, to look at you, Lord, and to receive from you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you for your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Well, let's remain standing. Let's raise a hallelujah.